0: Alright, we got signal, we got it running, let's get this thing going. Those were great comments, I like that. I, uh, Well, whatever, let's get to it. Abram, uh, he was 99, Lord appeared, said, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. Okay, that's what he said. We already covered that last week, All right. So this is actually going to touch on the circumcision was the first thing that was required. Wait a second. <laughs> no, it wasn't. The first thing was walk before me and be blameless. Oh, that's important. And we're going to talk about why. But let's go ahead and read through. Dave, you want to go first? Verse 2. Sure.
1: That I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly.
0: All right. So if you were going to ask the question, why is God telling him that he has to walk before him and be blameless? The answer is that I may make my covenant. So if you're questioning, was that a requirement? Yeah. It was required so that God could make the covenant. Whose covenant is it, according to God? Yeah. Yeah. It's not our covenant. It's not your covenant. It's my covenant. I think that's very interesting. Why would God, you know, be so possessive of this covenant, right? It's an interesting point Um, between me and you and may multiply you. So this is why we had those commands. Uh, It's not just a covenant. It's God's covenant. He'd already promised that Abram's offspring would be great, like in number. And that he would give Abram the promised land. Okay, so we've already talked about that. God has with Abram. But here, the focus is on the first of those two things. It's the offspring. The promises are now becoming part of an actual real covenant. Okay, now what's God's part of the covenant? He is going to multiply Abram greatly. That's what God's going to do. And what's Abram's part of the covenant so far? Walk before me, be blameless. Yeah, walk before me is like your lifestyle, right? You, you actually pay attention, do uh, as I instruct, right? And be blameless, we talked about that. It's like the sacrifices. They had to be without spot or blemish or wrinkle. You have to be that. But then we also talked about, does blameless equal sinless? Anyone? Anyone? No, did you? no. The answer is no. What's that? Yeah, blameless does not equal sinless. Okay? You can be without spot, blemish, or wrinkle. My favorite example out of all the scriptures is always David. Because we have those two sides. He was a man after God's own heart. God really liked David. And he was an adulterous murderer. <laughs> Come on, there's a big difference between someone whose heart is truly toward God, God sees it and knows it and recognizes it, and someone who is perfectly sinless like Jesus. Now, that isn't to condone any bad behavior. You should never think of it that way. But after you've screwed up, you can at least use it to know that you're going to be okay. There's always coming back from this, if you know what I'm saying, right? So that's a good thing.
2: Do you think, is, is blameless at all, and I don't know that it's brought up later, but blameless how it relates to animal sacrifice and the, you know, the meaning of complete and whole, and then later you are, he, Abram is told to blemish himself and, and the circumcision. Mm.
0: Good point.
2: I, I don't know how to tie it all together, but there's... yeah. I don't know if that sort of blemish on an animal would make it, you know, invalid for a sacrifice. Oh, Something yeah, like that. You I bet. So. Yeah. Um,
0: animals, even with just a, like a little cut on their lip or anything like that, boom, they're out, yeah. so, which is how they ended up so deeply in that system of, yeah, I'm not going to bother taking animals with me. I'm going to take money and then I'm going to buy the animals from the Levitical priesthood because they've been protected and cared for. And we know they're valid for sacrifice, right? I don't want to waste my time. But yeah, that's a really good point. Is there some sort of connection between the idea of being blameless, being without spot, blemish, and recall, and the fact that God is specifically commanded, I would like you to blemish yourself? That's a, that's a good question. I don't have any answers, but that's cool. I like it. Mm, it's good. Good. All right. Uh, verse 3, John. Abram fell face
3: down, and God said to him, Should I go on?
0: Yes. Do verse 4. I'm sorry. Yes.
3: As for me, this is my covenant with you. you. You will be the father of many nations.
0: Okay. Now, that's interesting. Okay. So, first of all, Abram seems like he's aware of the magnitude of this situation. What does it mean that he fell on his face or that he fell down before him? What does that mean? Yep. Yep. He lowered himself. He humbled himself. It's a, a, uh, a, a worship, if you will, right? Reverence, awe, all of those things. So he gets it. Whatever, whatever God's doing right now, Abram's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is a big deal. I need to get down because something, something big is happening. And God says, look, behold, or, or here it is. This is my covenant with you. Or this, my co- There's two ways of seeing that, actually. God could be saying, I'm about to tell you what my covenant with you is. Look, behold, here is my covenant. Or he could be trying to say something more along the lines of, uh, hey, my covenant is with you. I have this covenant and it's with you, you and you alone kind of a thing, right? Probably both of them make sense. I don't know what was really intended here, but so there's that. My covenant is with you. And then uh, the second thing is you're going to be the father of a multitude of nations. Okay. What do you think he means by that? What nations is God talking about here? tribes yeah yeah and yeah that's a really reasonable way to look at it it's like well abraham we think of him he's like the father of israel that whole bit and so okay there was israel and judah when they split up there were two nations that's plural oh we've got the 12 tribes you might think of it that way so very reasonable any other thoughts Okay, and Isaac. you're thinking like Ishmael and Isaac. Okay, that's another really good one. Yeah. Anybody else?
3: I promised, excuse me, Hagar uh, that uh, Ishmael would be the father of twelve princes. Mm-hmm. So maybe, of course, that's not of this covenant. But uh, right, it's interesting that there would be twelve yeah. for Ishmael and twelve for Jacob.
0: Right. Very good. See, these are all good. One last chance. Anybody?
3: I thought in God's omnipotence, he can see far ahead to see how the world will someday be.
0: Yeah. So you're thinking all nations. Right. And that, okay, we don't know what was in God's head at the moment he said it. But you go through the rest of the story, which we're pretending that we haven't read the rest of the story. That's why we're diving, diving so deep here. But you go through the rest of the story, and all of a sudden, Paul's argument, how is it that the Gentiles are included? Is it through the Sinai covenant and Moses? No. No. It's through faith like Abraham. Right? Abraham didn't have the law. Abraham wasn't a nation. Abraham, for all practical purposes, though he is the father of the Jewish nation, the Israel, though we look at it that way, at that moment, Abram, just as much as anybody else, represents all nations, right? That's Paul's argument. We're not in through Sinai, we're in through Abraham, okay? So you will be the father of a multitude of nations. And that actually kind of connects with the very first promise all nations will be blessed through you, right? So in all of this, at the very beginning of the story, Israel is going to be hugely important. I'm probably going to be a bigger fan of Israel than most of you would expect, okay? Scripture-wise, not like modern day, but whatever. Uh, And at the beginning, you see the seeds planted for all nations, all the time. That's, that's what's coming back here. So when Paul is talking about covenants, you got to be really careful because sometimes he's talking about Sinai covenant. Sometimes he's talking about Abrahamic covenant. Okay. So it's important. So anyway, all nations. Um, yes. So verse five, Mike,
3: No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations.
0: All right. Now, just a side note. Name change is not required for a covenant. I read some stuff where people were making this point, like, oh, you'll see it when all the covenants, uh, names are changed. No, that has nothing to do with anything. It's coincidence or whatever. Okay, But it's important because... What does Abram mean? Anybody know? Anybody go look? The
1: father of many.
0: Mm, close.
1: Patriarch.
0: Yeah. High that's Yeah. High father. Exalted father. Yeah. What does Abraham mean? Father of many nations. Father of many nations. Yeah. Yeah. Father of a multitude. That kind of thing. So, so Abram just means, you know... He's good, good father kind of thing. (laughs) Not God, but right. He's good, exalted, high father. But Abraham means he's a father of a multitude. So the name change serves as a reminder, continual reminder of the covenant. So it's kind of cool. It isn't required, but it's there. Uh, It also, we've talked about this a lot. It represents God's authority over Abraham because God is naming him. That's a sign of authority. And it speaks of who Abraham, who Abram will now be. It's, you know, somewhat, I don't know if you want to call it predictive or prophetic whatever words we might put on it. But it's a it's definitely foreshadowing the future. Right. It's big
1: things I read uh, this morning was kind of it was it was a funny thing. But it's true. You know, here, Abraham, Abram was with one child and, uh, you know, he comes out of his tent or wherever he had this event. And he said, oh, by the way, God told me to change my name to the father of many nations. And they're looking and like, uh, that's, a, that's a stretch, Abraham. Yeah. You know, but, yeah, we, we'll call you that. But yeah. <laughs> Dude,
0: you had to cheat to get one. Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. That Abraham was optimistic, yeah. right? Yeah, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Yeah, that's, that's really good. Um, now, again, this uh, we talked about it a little bit already. It's the, I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. He speaks as if it's already done. And it's especially important because everything that follows isn't written that way. It's, I will make, right? And again, you do have... And I don't know, they're smart people. They know more than us and but they're arguing, you know. Some of them are like, nah, the more reasonable translation would be I will make in verse five also. And you know, whatever. Just know that the argument exists and and you know, you can take it whatever way you want. I like I like what Isaac was talking about, you know, with how the I have made really affects Abraham in a in a special way. I think that's probably good and true. All right. Terry, verse 6.
1: I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you.
0: Okay. Now, remember when we were talking about who's responsible for what, Abraham was walk before me, be blameless. God was going to make him the father of a multitude, et cetera, et cetera. So we're going on, we're kind of going on about... What's God's part going to be in this covenant? Okay, And this gets to whose point was it that we didn't talk much about? It was yours. Yeah. So, again, we had that initial thing, walk before me and be blameless, but now we're moving on. We're talking a lot about what God's going to do. So let's let's look at that. It kind of sounds a little repetitive, maybe, um, but it adds some detail. Um, This thing where it says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, um, it's moed, moed. That would be the Hebrew. And it means like strong, strong, or powerful, powerful, or very, very. Right? So hidden in the text, you can't see it. The word exceedingly is like two words. Very, very. Strong, strong. Right? So exceedingly fruitful, which is kind of funny because right now he's got the one. Right? And we're going to see the promises through Sarah. <laughs> And so everybody's going, what? You cray-cray, old man. Uh, so let's see, what else we got? Uh, fruitful, he's going to bear fruit. That would be, we should look at that in terms of posterity. You know, there's a lot of different ways we can look at fruit. And God's going to make Abram into nations. And we already asked that question. What are we talking about? What, what nations is God referring to? And we don't really know the answer. We'll never know the answer. But I think all the things that you guys talked about, Makes sense, right? They can all be true at the same time, even. I mean, it is God, after all. Who knows? He, he may be it all at once and said it that way because he knew that that's the way it would come across. But whatever, we got that. Um, and here's the new part. Kings shall come from you. So here's a question. What kings is he talking about? Same thing with the nations, right?
2: Yeah. Well, no. At least David and Jesus. There you go. There are plenty of others in the yeah. line, but... Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, those,
0: yeah. Right. All the kings of Israel, all the kings of Judah, we could talk about those, right? Your point, David and Jesus was a king, right? Um, but then again, if you go back to the way we were talking about nations, is it like, well, I don't know. What about the other kings? I mean, Ishmael is his son and other princes or whatever will come from him and... Right? You don't know how far it's meant. I just want to point it out because it's important to know that the seeds for including people like us in the redemption are right here. You need to know that. God didn't get to a point in history and go, you know what, forget all of that. I'm going to do this new thing over here. Now you guys are in. No. That was not a new thing, a big break in the story. It was the continuation or fulfillment of the story that was already being told. The seeds of it are right here. Okay? It's important that you see it. And I say it that way because that's the way Paul sees it. Not me. The the, the Apostle Paul. (laughs) That gets confusing. All right. Um... That was verse six, right? And that was Mike. That was No, me, Terry. no that was Terry. Uh,
1: you know, one of the things that uh, strikes me up to this point is uh, the importance of words that we speak. You know, when God spoke, he meant for Abraham to listen and then to follow through with uh, whatever the instructions were. Right. And the same in our life, you know, we need to speak watch what we speak and then speak the words that God has shown us. Yeah. You know, like he changes uh, Abraham and Sarah's names and it's meaningful. Right. Uh, you know, he's He's pro, He's prophesying what's taking place. Yeah. God speaks each and every one of us, and we need to watch the words that come out of our mouths. Yeah. That's, I like, you know, I like the importance of the significance, I suppose, of the words that are being said by God. Abraham, listen, let the words that come out of your mouth be the same. Right.
0: Yeah, Yeah, see, I don't even know what you're saying right now. Could you use some different words? I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) All right, so can you read verse 7? Okay. Yeah.
1: And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you.
0: Okay. Now, in some ways, this sounds a little bit repetitive, but do you see how it's always building on the idea? It's like he'll repeat something, but then he'll add something new, right? And, I I mean, side note, that's important, because that's the way covenants work. Covenants don't replace the earlier one. Covenants add to the early one. When you have, you, know, the same parties involved, covenants are additive, not, not replacing. Okay? So let's get into this, though. Um, it isn't just about Abraham anymore. Yeah. It's for all of Abram's offspring. Now, just quick side note. Is it for all of Abram's offspring?
2: For those that keep the covenant.
0: Ch- yes. Now you sound like me. Who else is it for? <laughs> Practically. It's going to be for Isaac, not for Ishmael. Right? That's another really important theme in the story. God chooses who he will. That's another thing that's going to come up in Paul. Right? Right? <clears throat> But Ishmael, he, well, you're going to see how he gets involved in this and it's actually kind of amazing. So it isn't just Abraham. It's for all of Abram's offspring, but it's not really all. It's just the chosen line of Isaac, Jacob, the 12, right? You know that story. This is supposed to be a covenant that lasts how long? Forever. Yeah. Now, Again, I know I've said this out loud before, but I'll just keep saying these things. When you see words like everlasting or forever or all generations and all that kind of stuff, we, modern day, we immediately translate that to infinity, okay? It's not that that's horribly wrong or anything, but just understand language-wise, it has a a different connotation. It's more like age-enduring, Okay, we live in an age, heaven and earth were created, and at some point, heaven and earth are going to pass away. That is one age. Okay, so all of this that we're talking about, everlasting, all generations, forever, all those words, they are until heaven and earth pass away. And that's okay. It's actually good. Because when there's a new heaven and a new earth, then we're actually living in the fulfillment of what we call the new covenant. Everything is different. You're resurrected. You have a physical body again. You're living on a physical earth again, but you are no longer capable of sin. Why? Because the promise of the new covenant is that the Torah is written on your mind and your heart. All of those instructions. Remember, we said Torah does not equal law. Law does not equal Torah. They're two separate things, although there' are a lot of overlap. In fact, you could say that the law is a subset of Torah, but the instructions Torah are for all mankind. The law that was terms and conditions of a covenant. It's a different thing, right? In the new heaven and earth, right? That Torah, it's, it's like, it's going to be infused in you. And so sin is no longer possible. I don't know if it's completely impossible. I'm assuming it is the way the text is right. So it's just it's an important image to get in your head, and a lot of this stuff is being understood, you know. Here, all right. Um, it's an everlasting covenant. In practical terms, we talked about that. God's making part of the covenant. I will be your God. Okay. So, I mean, that's kind of a big deal. You know, God, remember, and this goes back to Babel. Remember, at Babel, what did he do? He basically confused the language and spread people out all over the earth, and he actually gave up some measure, let's call it, of authority, control, rulership, whatever one you call it, he gave that to other Elohim, other princes, other powers, and God kept something for himself, his own inheritance. And what was it? That little strip of land we call Israel. And now, Abram, Abraham and his offspring. That's God's inheritance, okay? I will be your God, right? Now, don't let that bother you like, oh my gosh, God abandoned all the rest of humanity. Not really. But for, this, for the story of how is God fixing it, how's God going to redeem it all, this is how he's doing it. This is the plot. You guys have your thing. I've got my thing. I'm going to use this little seemingly insignificant bit and I'm going to fix it all through that. Right? Right? It's hard, hard to to grasp that story, but it's important that you know about it. Okay? I will be your God. It's for Abraham and his offspring. So then we get to verse 8. Isaac.
2: And I will give and I will give to you and to your offspring after you and, and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God.
0: Okay. So, again, it sounds kind of repetitive. I know this is going to happen a lot, but it's important. I'm going to give to you and your offspring. Side note, is it all of his offspring? Nope, it's just Isaac and Jacob, right? It's just a single line. The land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan. This is all the land that Abram's been kind of hanging out in for the last 20, 25 years, right? All of that and he's given it to them for a possession, how long is it theirs? Everlasting. Everlasting. And what did we just say about that? Age, age. Yeah, it means until the end of this age because at that point, it doesn't matter anymore. But, now, but this is important. If God is making this covenant and it's forever, for all generations, everlasting, whatever your word is in your translation, Okay. What would, it, what would it mean for, for that land to not be Israel's anymore? What would it mean for God to not be their God anymore before the end of the age? It would mean that God broke the covenant. It would mean that God was unfaithful, right? Is any of that possible with the God that you know of? It's not possible. So when people start talking about, you know, oh, that stuff is old and not relevant anymore. We've got the new thing or whatever. You have missed the story. You have made God unfaithful. That doesn't work. You've got to rethink your story, right? So this is, it's so important that you see these words and what's being said and remember that we are included through Abraham, not Moses. Okay? It's a big, big deal. All right. Um, So God just keeps adding stuff. Again, He's granting the land of Israel to Abram and his offspring. It's everlasting. It's age-enduring. It's until heaven and earth pass away. Now, what did we just go through with... but, But I thought God already gave the land to him. What did we call that? Does anybody remember the name I put on that? The
1: treaty?
0: Yeah. The land grant? Land grant treaty, right? And that's why I focused on that so heavily. It does use the word covenant in some of your translations back there, but covenant, Hebrew is a very small language. So every word gets used quite a bit for different things. So it could mean agreement, it could mean treaty. It could mean bond. It could mean covenant, like the way we're talking about it here. So that's why I kept highlighting the fact that, no, this is a land grant treaty. This is like a human legal thing. If you want to look at it that way. Now, all of a sudden, here we are in an actual covenant thing. This is real covenant covenant, the way we think of it. And God is again saying that same thing. And I'm going to give you all of this land. All of this land is yours. Not just by land grant treaty, not by this human legal thing that everybody can relate to. This is by covenant with me, my covenant. So it's a step up, right? Uh, and it's again, Abram's offspring, and but not all of it. So verse nine, Todd.
1: God
3: also said to Abraham, "As for you, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations, are to keep my covenant."
0: Ah. Okay, so we've been focusing on all this stuff that God was going to do. And it says, as for you, you now have to keep my covenant. So God's turning it around. Abram, you must do your part. And not just you, Abram, Abraham, but all of your offspring after you. So the question is, what is that part? What has God required of Abraham so far? Walk before me and be blameless. blameless. The reason I ask that is because we're immediately going to move to the sign of the covenant. Now, it's important. It's a part of the covenant that they must keep, but it's the sign of the covenant. And so, I'm suggesting we have to go back to the only other thing that God has said, walk before me and be blameless to be included here, right? Otherwise, you're left with yep. Our covenant is with God is that, you know, we get circumcised. Now, is that something that God could do? Sure, that could be it. But it requires faith. It seems a little odd, right? The only thing required is that you cut a little skin off your flesh. I don't know. That can't really be. So walk before me and be blameless. Now, follow me. This is all a big part of the story. How is it that we enter into this whole thing? Is it through Moses or Abraham? Through Abraham. And if we're entering through Abraham, what is Abraham's part of the covenant? Walk before me. And be blameless right it's not keep the law from Sinai but it is walk before me and be blameless which includes all of God's instruction most especially in the Torah those first five books but all of Scripture everything that we can learn from God about his attributes about what it is to be in his image that's our part of the Covenant if you want to say it that way Right? If we're joining in through Abraham, the way Paul would say it, well then what is it like to have a faith like Abraham? Well, it's to walk before him and be blameless, right? It's a lifelong pursuit of righteousness. Are we ever going to be perfect? I'm guessing no. But maybe you could be perfect for short periods of time, right? What did we talk about? I made it eight and a half hours or, you know, I made it a week or whatever. Whatever. It doesn't matter the point. It's like David. Your heart is for him. And then when you mess up, you can get past that.
2: Your you heart. become blameless again. Exactly. redemption. Exactly. Being washed by the blood. Exactly. So you're not blameless, I guess, while you're sinning, but immediately after, you can be blameless again.
0: Yeah. Immediately. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. And it's uh, it's just important that you see, how am I connected to all of this? Because a lot of people, what they hear is just believe in Jesus. You're going to heaven. Okay. Now to a degree, that's absolutely true. <laughs> okay. But it's a very small degree because it leaves out so much of the story. So you've got to know, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? It isn't just what happens in here, in your head. It's what happens when you walk that out. When you really believe a thing, you act or live according to that belief. And that's why so many in the church, so many outside the church, look at the church and go, you're just a bunch of hypocrites. Well, why is that? Because you say this, but you do that. They're right. You got to know that. They're right. Now, again, are we ever going to be perfect? No, everybody knows that. Does you trying to be righteous and all this kind of stuff, is that somehow going to earn you your way into heaven? No, Jesus took care of all of that. But this is is your part this is your role in the story even from the very beginning you were created to be in his image that doesn't just mean oh i'm human therefore i'm in the image of god it does mean that but it doesn't only mean that it means you must live in the image of god walk before me that's what that's talking about be blameless right What's that? Live
1: it out.
0: Live it out. Yeah. 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 And so here's the thing. And I, I saw this, one of my friends, uh, he's, uh, well, you know, Tim, he's in this group. He's, he's now back in Honduras, uh, missionary down there, right? He posted something <laughs> and he's, it, I don't even remember who the guy was that said it, and I'm going to mess up the quote terribly, but it was something along the lines of keeping God's law is not legalism. It's Christianity. Right. And that it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a controversial kind of statement, I think for a lot of people, but if you could say it a different way, nicer, gentler way, whatever, it's absolutely right. And that's the part that most of Christianity has missed. Now I'm not making judgments about, you know, who's saved or not saved during that kind of stuff. What I'm saying is most of the church, especially in America, they're missing out. This is a great story to be a part of, and they're missing it. They got nothing, right? So you guys, well, at least it's worth the price of admission, right? You got that going for you. All right, so what do we say? Uh, Keep my covenant, you and your offspring, after you throughout their generations. There's another one of those phrases, throughout their generations. That's just like saying age enduring, right? They say it a bunch of different ways. Um, okay, so verse 10, where are we at, Philip? All right. All right.
3: This is my covenant that you must keep between me and you and your seed after you. All your males must be circumcised.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Now, understandably, somebody's going to look at this and go, oh, okay, so what's my part in the covenant? Circumcision. Okay, you just read the text, we get that. But it would be a mistake to think that that is the end of the story. That's what all of this discussion has been so far. So circumcision, right? Uh, God's very explicit about what Abraham and his offspring must do. Every male must be circumcised. And this is Israel's part of his covenant. God's covenant. Be circumcised. This is actually test number six. We've had five of them. This is number six. Abram must circumcise himself. Well, I don't. It's a question of whether he literally did it himself to himself or whatever. But the point is, himself be circumcised at an age, old age, whatever. Okay, that's a test. Um, and this whole uh, if if uh, every male must be circumcised, and it's going to go into the detail. It must happen on the eighth day. It's for all generations. All this kind of stuff. I know it doesn't say it explicitly in the text. I know that. But is there any reason for us to think that walk before me and be blameless would not also be for all generations? Right? But there's an important caveat. Okay? What we're going to start finding out is that much of what God does is because of Abraham. Abraham's life, Abraham's walk is beneficial to all the generations that follow. So there's like this, this important little point here. On one hand, should the generations after Abram do this stuff? Yes. But why is God willing to enter into these covenants and be patient and right? do all that? It's because of Abraham. So other people are benefiting from one person's merit. And we've seen it before. It's what happened with Noah. Other people benefited because of Noah's righteousness. Other people are benefiting because of Abram's righteousness. Other people benefit because of Jesus's righteousness. You See the theme, right? That's how it works. So we're, we're trying to get at the mechanics of, how is it that we're saved? Why is it okay that, you know, right? We're trying to nail that down. So it's big, important part. Um, Well, let's go ahead. Bernard, verse 11.
3: You are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you.
0: Excellent. All right. So, we get a little more clarity. Again, circumcision is for the foreskin, the flesh of the foreskin. Now, I looked and looked and looked because all of a sudden, right here in the middle, it talks about circumcision at the top, talks about circumcision later. Right here in the middle, it talks about circumcision. And every time it does, it says, in the flesh of your foreskin or whatever your translation says, right? And I'm like, why is it doing that? Why is it all of a sudden clarifying in the foreskin? What's going on there? And apparently, nobody else has had that question because I found no answers. I mean, it's weird, right? It's the Internet. Google, how could not, nobody wrote about that? that? was super weird. But I have a theory, and that is, um, and, and you know this, it's in your scripture. Uh, it talks about the circumcision of the heart you heard that phrase? Yeah. No? Okay. It's in your Bible more than once. Circumcision of the heart, it's a metaphor, right? Cut away the sin, the disobedience, and you're left with righteousness or image of God or whatever phrase you want to put in there, right? Circumcision of the heart. So circumcision, I couldn't find anything that would suggest that it ever meant anything to anyone other than circumcision of foreskin, okay? There were different techniques, I guess, of doing it or, you know, whatever, that kind of stuff. But everybody, that's what they meant. And so all I could think was, well, you know, this this culture, they were into metaphor, analogy, all that kind of stuff a lot, symbolism. So maybe... The writers here or God here thought that it was important that they specify, no, we're talking about something literal. The other thought was, well, later, later generations, what if they looked back and they said, well, yeah, God commanded that we circumcise, but here's what he meant, right? Okay, to avoid being able to talk their way out of it, maybe we have get the super clear detail. Nope, circumcision in the flesh of your foreskin so that nobody could ever weasel their way out of it in later generations. There's another thought, right? I don't know what's really going on here, but for some reason, we start talking about it's the circumcision of the flesh of the foreskin, okay? And here's, okay, so that, that was more of a side note probably, but here's the important part. Circumcision is the sign of the covenant. Now, what's another covenant that we've had that's like a a full-on official covenant prior to this one? What did we have? Noah. Noah. And what was the sign of the covenant with Noah? The rainbow. Okay? This is the sign of the covenant. So here's a really good thing to know when you want to know, hey, Which parts of the scripture are we like actually entering into some sort of official kind of covenant thing, right? Not every single time, so don't don't draw a black and white line. But for the most part, the real covenants are accompanied with a sign. That's how you pick them out. That's how you know. Okay. Anybody know what the sign of the new covenant is? The one that we think we're all living under right now? Oh, good guess. No.
3: It's spiritual, not physical.
0: Yeah, it's the Holy Spirit. Yeah, very good. Yeah, and there's a bunch of other ones, but we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, so, yeah, this, is, this moment is analogous to Noah's covenant, but this is an important thing. Who provided the sign of the rainbow? God, who's providing the sign for this covenant? Man, Man. yeah. In fact, God, he's going to make that rainbow appear so that, I mean, what do you want to say? It's like perpetual or always present, like at least whenever it's raining or whatever. It's, It's a continual, perpetual kind of sign, okay? God's making sure of that. This one, man has to make sure of it. You make sure that this sign is always, you know, present, visible, apparent, whatever you want to call it, right? That's a big deal. We are responsible for that sign. When I say we, I mean Abram and his generations, right? Like America, I think the numbers are still really high. Something like 80% of baby boys are circumcised, something like that. And I I don't know exactly why they felt that was a thing. But it has nothing to do with covenant. I mean, maybe somebody thought it did or wanted it to or something, but it doesn't. It's just like a cultural thing. Well, there were other cultures, even back around Abraham's time, that also had circumcision. Believe it or not, Egypt had a form of circumcision. But there was something about the Israelites, the way they did it or something, they thought that they were just barbaric cannibals. Not cannibals. What's the word I'm looking for? I don't know animals. Something they were just you know horrible people because Egypt did it right apparently, <laughs> something like that, right? So anyway, um, we have to be carrying the uh, the sign of the covenant. It's it's also kind of funny. Where is the sign of Noah's covenant? Yeah, and. Yeah, Bible language, we might say in the heavens. That's where God is, right? He's responsible for it. Where's the sign of this covenant? It's in the flesh, right? It's where man is with man, right? So it's kind of neat. And you think about it. I mean, this is funny. What? Just a handful of times each day, you're going to be reminded of this covenant, right? I mean, you can't leave a pee without... Covenant, <laughs> I remember, right? And funny thing, it even there was a, a bit of it even affected the women, right? They had to go through, I and mean, these were all adults, you know, going through, but they would also, with their babies, there's, there's some, some sort of really impactful part of circumcision, even for the women. And their, their man or their child, whichever way that worked, right, They were permanently, quote-unquote, marred by this. It was a a continual reminder. So even the women were affected by it, right? It's an amazing, amazing picture. What else we got here? Oh, I just asked the... We've already talked about this. In my notes, I'm like, so if this is just the... I don't want to say just the sign. If this is the sign of the covenant, is that really the only requirement? And then that points back to, you know where are we at? Oh, look at that. We're pretty much done. So let me see what this next one is. Yeah, let's go ahead and finish this. Bernard, have you read yet? You already did? All right. So I'll do this one. Wouldn't ask you to do anything. I wouldn't do myself, right? (laughs) So actually in here I get Killed, verse 12 and 13. Man! He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. So how long do the Jews have to circumcise themselves? Until heaven and earth pass away, right? It's a sign of a covenant until heaven and earth pass away. If it's a sign until heaven and earth pass away, well, then obviously the covenant is until heaven and earth pass away, right? It's all all there, right? So, um, So God adds a little bit of detail around the circumcision. Obviously, He's talking to Abraham, who's 99 years old, and all the people in his household. you got to know the majority of them are adults, you know, that kind of thing. So it doesn't exactly apply to them, but this is how it goes forward. Uh, It isn't that it uh, must only that it must be done, but that it must be done in a very specific way. You have to be eight days old. Um, Scripturally speaking, eight is a very important day. Remember the first creation story? covered seven days. And there's, uh, in Jewish tradition, there's this mythical eighth day, right? They actually celebrate it at the end of Sukkot. They celebrate the eighth day because what, what that represents is a new beginning. You may have heard eight represents a new beginning, right? And, and in our story, the big, big Bible story, what that represents is the world to come, okay? Because, uh, seven, the day seven represents Sabbath. We see Sabbath is when we are resurrected, reconnected with God, all that kind of thing. And the kingdom acts as like the transition time. The thousand years of the kingdom is the transition into the world to come. So the kingdom is like the more like the fulfillment of day seven in this age. It's not perfect, but it's, right? it's like that. And then the eighth day is the world to come when everything is made new and sin is gone and all that. So anyway, you're circumcised on the eighth day. I don't know if it was intended that those two were supposed to be connected, but I was just telling you about the word eight. Um, okay, so you've got to be eight days old, and it's for every male who is a part of your household, or in the future it could be the assembly or the nation or whatever. It includes both offspring and anyone else who is attached to the assembly in some way. Now, we look at this and we go, oh, okay, so Abram and, you know, he's probably got some other family. I mean, Lot's gone. I don't know. Maybe maybe he has no other relation. That would kind of, it's what you would expect from the story, okay? But everybody in his household, you read this and you're like, wow, man, all those guys got to get circumcised too. I mean, do they really want that job? You know, (laughs) that's a big deal. But it isn't just them. It's for every generation that goes forward. And so, hey, I want to hang out with Israel and their God. I don't actually want to, you know, convert and be Jewish or anything. Well, guess what? You got to get circumcised anyway. (laughs) And circumcision is a part of the legal conversion to be a proselyte to Judaism. Circumcision is a part of that. So, I mean, it's a big, hefty requirement. You can't just... Well, Bernard, you want to be a part of Israel, you're going to have to get a little skin in the game, right? Yeah, I like it. (laughs) All right, for those not born into the assembly, the eighth day requirement is modified or waived. That just means that it's because you're older than eight days, and therefore you just get it whenever you get it. So, this is how God has infused the covenant even into their flesh. It's with circumcision. Circumcision is for all generations, age enduring, so the sign will be age enduring, just as the covenant is age enduring. And yeah, I repeat myself because that's how we learn. I've probably said some things today that I've said a number of times before. But for some of you, maybe one or some of those things hit differently today, right? And it's because I've said it before, we've talked about it before, and it takes a while for these things to sink in. So some of the stuff you might be listening to and you're going, yeah, you know, Paul keeps saying that, but I, don't, I, I just don't really get it. I don't see it, whatever. We're just going to keep talking about it. And, and it'll start to gel, if you will. It's good. All right, so we've covered a lot of stuff. Here I was, thinking I was moving quickly, but we didn't get near as far as I thought. What do you got?
3: If you, if you think about back that, that time, circumcision, think about the amount of infections that would probably be a prevail there. Yeah. Now you wanna see something else will blow your mind, look up in Google, look up the uh, Statue of David. He's not circumcised. <laughs> Look! Look at the picture. Look at the picture of the statue. He's not circumcised.
0: Well, somebody didn't know what they were doing. Well,
3: I was thinking, man. Now wait a minute. That goes way back. Now,
0: hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, that just goes to show you: don't count on statues and paintings for your so theology.
3: Maybe well, Michelangelo wasn't circumcised either.
0: Maybe not. Maybe not. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Anybody else?
2: Later, it says if you're not. Circumcised, you are cut off from yeah. people, which
0: is funny uh, phrase. <laughs> right? It's an interesting
3: choice of words. Yeah. Lord, it is. It is. is. Cut in or cut off.
0: That's right. That's right. Yeah. Now, um, side note sorry, just make me think of things. Um, Jesus' era, when you had disciples and masters and all that, um, when a disciple wasn't fulfilling their responsibilities properly, okay, they were cut off. And the, the phrase that they used then was, on the ban. You were banned for a time. And it was usually, I don't know, a sh- rel- relatively short period of time. Let's just use an example of 30 days. So if you're not you know, doing the right stuff, You're put on the band, placed on the band for 30 days. And the point of it is to help you feel like an outsider, to feel the isolation, to feel the, wait a second, I'm not a part of this thing that I really do want to be a part of, right? So it's supposed to be a motivator to bring you back, right? Um, But... Uh, here, I don't think it, it, it has a, a real, hey, you can return. Other than, and we don't know this, if you're cut off because you won't be circumcised, what happens if you go, okay, I'll be circumcised? Are you back? It doesn't really say. We don't know. I would think that historically Judaism, Israel, they would have been like, oh, well, yeah, as long as you're willing to come on back in, Right? They were very, okay, we can talk about a lot of ways that Israel, the Jews, have failed, okay? And, I mean, what are we going to do? Throw stones? Come on, we're the same. But they had a lot of things that were really, really good also. Makes sense, right? This is a mixed bag. They were really, really merciful about a lot of things, and and there was a a very neat image of God in that. So they did some stuff good. Is the
3: Israel today, the Israel of them, the See the, Philip. The so
0: yeah, they yeah, yeah. A lot, a lot of Israelites actually know some about their heritage. A lot don't. Um, the, the Holocaust messed up a bunch of that mm-hmm. for the ones that don't know. Uh, but what you will find is that the vast majority of those who call themselves Jew, because they're legally Jewish, let's say, uh, they call themselves Israel, whether they're living in nation or not, um, they're really very secular. They are not Israel in terms of the way we imagine Israel, the assembly, you know, a a community whose uh, legal system, uh, ruling system, is the same as their religious system, you know, all of that. It's just not like that anymore. It's very separate, and mostly uh, you've got pockets of, you know, what they would call the faithful, you know. Um, but in terms of blood and stuff like that, yeah, it's really them.
3: So the, the people from Hamas that went to war with Israel this morning, mm-hmm. would though People also be Jewish
0: or? Uh, well.
3: They live in that same
0: land, don't they? Yeah. Considering um, human history and how things get mixed and, you know, all that kind of stuff, you, we could probably find some Jewish descendants among them for sure. But I think culturally, nationally, etc., no, they wouldn't be Jewish they could be and see this is this is very difficult because you're going to have people who they're going to speak as if they just know right and they're going to go they're ishmael well maybe they are maybe they aren't though i mean there's just trouble. There's a lot of trouble over there. And trying to look back across history and draw these really clear black and white lines about who is who and what all of that, that's really difficult. It's really difficult to do. And that's one of the things that's kind of amazing about Israel in general is the job that they have done in a couple different areas, like uh, protecting, maintaining the Scripture. It's really remarkable. They've done an amazing job of preserving that. And to some degree, genealogy, heritage, stuff like that, so that they can know, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm of the tribe of Levi. You know, Some of that, it's it's truly amazing that they've done that. But even having said that, there's just a ton where all of that gets lost and mixed up in history, and nobody knows what's going on. And so people who are pointing at things and going, this is this, well, you might be right. You know, just take it with a grain of salt and, you know.
3: You would wonder if this is to go on forever, this agreement, this mm-hmm. covenant, there's a mighty big risk that's being taken by either the non-believer or these factions Yeah. that decide to, to war with Israel even to today.
0: Yeah. 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 Uh, I think it's fair to say they have made themselves enemies of God.
1: Simple as that. Looks like he just...
0: I know. And he could. But what's interesting... Okay, so he did the flood. Right? God kind of did that himself. But think about the promised land, Canaan. God takes credit or blame, however you want to say that, for wiping out the Canaanites because of their sin. It was judgment. Okay, but who actually did the work? He sent Israel in to do it, right? It's weird because some people look and go, why, the Jews did this, they did this. Okay, technically, you are correct. Nobody can argue with that. But it's really funny that in the Scripture, God's going... I did that. Whoa, that's a big deal. And so, yeah, you know, going against Israel in any time period before heaven and earth pass away, it's a bad thing because they are God's inheritance of all the nations of the earth.
3: So at some point in time... the people of the United States who have this affinity for Israel or this Mm -hmm. under, is it a solid understanding is, is why there is such support for Israel and the relationship between.
0: Yeah. You know, I don't know. I mean, now we're getting into, what do people actually think? Um, I think that there are some people who really do, have a pretty good understanding, and that's why their support for Israel is pretty strong and unwavering, whatever. But I think there are a lot of people, um, you know this in life, you just sort of, you pick a favorite, you pick a thing, and it's like, well, no, I think we should be on Israel's side. And, you know, you, you stick with that. Some people are just like that. They don't really know. All they know is, I'm for Israel. And there are other people, and I just I feel certain that she won't hear this recording, my mother-in-law falls into this other category. I don't think she really uh, grasps all of the details of the history and the covenants and all that kind of stuff maybe the way I think that I do. Let's say it that way. I'm trying to be generous because I could be dumb, right? But her support for Israel is unwavering. And it's not that she just has picked a favorite. But I would suggest that's something that God, the Holy Spirit, has actually worked in her. Because she's been that way since before I knew her. 30, 40 years ago, she was like, support Israel. (laughs) Why? I don't know. (laughs) But she was just all over it. And I would actually think that that was something God did in her. So you might find that a lot Let's just say a lot more commonly among Christians, right? Even if they don't really understand why, but it's a they're moved. So I don't know, it could be a lot of things.
3: If you believe what's written here, you have to believe that it wouldn't be a very good idea to go against Israel.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and the difficulty was that with that is that we have this very persistent teaching that goes on in the church, and I'm just gonna broadly put it under the category of supersessionism or replacement theology, okay? And the, the basic story is that Israel blew it, so God replaced Israel with the church, and now we're the new Israel, and that's how the covenant continues, okay? I find that to be just impossible to reconcile with the Scripture itself. Okay. But a lot of people hear that, a lot of people believe that. And so they look at Israel and they just kind of like, eh, you know, they're holding on to a an old thing, you know, their religion sustains them, they're just dumb, you know, whatever. But here's another thing. Just name another people that has survived as a people. Across so many millennia.
2: Yeah, you can't argue that God left them behind when you look at the history of the of A.D. What do you mean? You you can't argue that God has abandoned the nation of Israel when you look at where they are now, especially. Yeah. So I I I think to to your point, like I just I don't believe that God has abandoned them for us good Christians. Right. Because right. look where Israel is now. Yeah. They go through bad stuff as they did in the Old Testament too. But...
0: Right. Yeah, you can't make an argument that says, come on, God was done with Israel. But If that were true, there's no way they'd even be around. I mean, what's the, what's the population of Jews in the world? Something like 14 million or something? I mean, it's a small number, whatever it is. Do you realize how long they've been around, <laughs> right? And their numbers just kind of do this, go up and down, but they they always remain just this this small thing. How is it that they continue to survive? They didn't even have a land for how long, and yet they remained a people. They got returned to that land. So it, it's a it's an amazing thing, and and whether you look at that from a religious lens or just a a uh, historical, uh, whatever lens, it's amazing it, on every side. Really is.
3: Yeah, I asked those questions just because I heard on my way in this morning that.
0: Yeah, the bombing. They
3: declared their their war. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah
3: like somebody's not paying
0: attention. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, but you know. Mm-hmm. It, it's such a difficult topic to discuss because people have such differing views about it and it turns into something political rather than, look, could, could we just talk about it from a scriptural perspective? You know, it's just difficult. So, whatever. But yeah, it's good questions, good topics. We don't really know the answers, but anybody else?
3: final thought has nothing really to do with anything deep. Mm -hmm. The first time I was ever in Washington, D.C., the first protest I ever saw was a group of people at the Capitol protesting circumcision. What? That has nothing really to do, but I remember that. Wow. 1989.
0: Yeah. So. Protesting circumcision?
2: Yeah, a group protesting circumcision. I can't be convinced that it doesn't have just anti-Semitism and anti-Christianity. Right. I just, you can't tell me otherwise. Yeah. That movement.
0: Yeah. If you pay attention, okay, I I said politics and religion and different things, and we don't want to get in those arguments, but I will say this. It would be a very interesting exercise for any of us to take a look at all the modern political issues and see how you think they relate to your religion, your Christianity. I think you would find that for the most part, they're all intended to try to wipe it out, try to wipe your Christianity off the face of the earth. That's what's behind it. And that's very sad, very sad. But in the end, we win. So I guess there's always that. (laughs) All right. Anybody else? All right. I'm hitting the button.